Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Also, I want to remind you that next Sunday morning, our children's choir will be presenting a special uh, program of music for us in the morning service, as well as uh, Pastor Gary will be bringing a devotional or a message, shorter message from Ephesians chapter 3 as well. So next Sunday morning, be sure and be here, as I know you will, to support our children as they've been working hard on this uh, ministry. <clears throat> Let's uh, open our service, uh, our time around the Word of God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look to your Word now and consider it, uh, we pray that our hearts will be sensitive to your Word, open to your Word. We would be willing to listen to your Word. And Father, that uh, your Word would draw us close to you and that your word would encourage us as we walk with you and serve you in this week to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, if, if the Lord were to appear to you and say, uh, appear to me and say, uh, Jim, uh, you can ask one question that I will answer for you, whatever you ask. If you could ask God one question today that you knew you would get an audible answer that you would hear clearly and directly, what would you ask God today? What would you ask God? I know that uh, depending on your life circumstance right now, uh, some of you might have a question regarding that. Why did this happen? Why is this happening? What is going to happen? Maybe some of you have a theological or Bible question. Uh, Lord, I would like to know the answer to this whole issue uh, of election, you know, and predestination. Um, maybe, you know, what, what would you ask God today? What's the one question you would like to ask God, Lord Jesus Christ, if you knew for sure that he would just give you a very clear, accurate answer? In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, as the disciples gathered with our Lord, and they have been through, um, you know, we are approaching uh, Easter. Uh, we call it the Passion Week, the week before Easter, when we consider the uh, crucifixion and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We consider his uh, resurrection from the dead. As we've been memorizing this past week in our passage from the, from the resurrection chapter from 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, also, we are writing, uh, we just introduced a new thing where we're going to, the pastors are going to be taking turns uh, once a week to write a, uh, just a little blog, um, just a little, some just thoughts. It's not a theological discourse. It's not an argument or anything else. Just some thoughts. And we're going to base it on the memory verse. And you can get that uh, through our church uh, webpage or if you don't get our email uh, from our email. And uh, just to clarify, is that, uh, because there's a question is which week, which verse is this week's verse? Okay. So the verse that we introduce, uh, each week that's on the, um, uh, the board in front of you and in our little flyer and material we've given, that is the verse that we are learning this week. And so that's the verse we'll write on, uh, during the week. So somebody, Pastor Gary or Kevin's writing this week. Who's writing this week? Kevin, they're both going like this. Oh, no, Kevin, okay. All right, so Kevin will write this week on our passage from Romans. This past week, 
I wrote on the passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose again according to the Scriptures. And we just shared some thoughts on that. And uh, so this, it'll be the, work, the verse that we introduce is this week's verse that we will share some thoughts on. And as they gathered, and, and, and as, as this is the, the heart of the gospel, the heart and soul of the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. The third day, according to the scriptures. This is the kerygma. This is the basic, essential elements of the gospel. And as the apostles, the disciples, as the disciples gathered with Jesus, the eleven, uh, they haven't chosen the twelfth yet because of Judas, but as they gather with him and they reflect back on the whirlwind of the past days, when, you know, they come to Jerusalem as we're going to celebrate next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And as we, isn't it? No, the week after is Palm Sunday. <laughs> And when we gather for Palm Sunday in two weeks, and we will reflect on, uh, you know, this, the, the truth of, of Jesus uh, coming to Jerusalem. And we consider the, 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 the joy and the celebration that day and the excitement as they saw people uh, praising him and welcoming him and the throngs and to the point the Pharisees and scribes didn't do, dare do anything that day. And then they saw everything change and they, they heard his predictions and they saw him dying across the Calvary, which, which even though he had told them, they, it didn't register. And here, here he was, the Messiah, the King. He was the Son of God, and he died. And they watched him die. They knew he died. He was, he was dead. And then to have him rise from the dead, to come back to life, to see him resurrected, and to spend those 40 days teaching and, and, and going through Scripture and telling them all about there's prophecies, and he went to the Old Testament like, like the Apostle Paul did when he went to the synagogue and showed that, that here's what the Old Testament predicted. The Messiah had to die. He had to rise from the dead. And it all fit into place, and it all, all began to, to, to come together. And all this excitement about the kingdom that was interrupted by the crucifixion, but the resurrection and the hope, as Jesus had told him before, you wait in, you wait in Jerusalem, and you start from there, and you go out, into all the world. And they gather and they ask him this question. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him. And this, this was the most natural, pressing question that if they didn't ask, there would have been something wrong with them. I mean, this is what they should have asked. And this is what you would expect them to ask. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It's almost, it's almost a rhetorical question. It's almost, Lord, you are now. I mean, we've been talking about it. You've been preaching about it. While you were on earth, yes, we didn't understand. But now we do. Now we understand the sacrifice. Now we understand your payment for sins. Now it's all come together. Now, Lord, you are going to establish and restore the kingdom to Israel, aren't you? Are you going to do this now? Now, I want you to notice Jesus' response. All he had to say was yes or no. All he had to say was, well, um, actually, it's going to be at least 2,000 years. You know, um, look at his response. It is not for you to know the times 
or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Stay in Jerusalem and be prepared and go from there to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after verse 9, he said this, he was taken up before their eyes in a cloud that hid them from their sight. And they, they asked a simple question. I mean, after all, he was entrusting them with the ministry to take this message to the world. I mean, begin in Jerusalem and then begin there and go out. And, and he says, it's not for you to know. Only the Father has set these times and authority and you will know when you know. And then he's gone. And they're watching and they're standing, they're looking up into heaven and, and gazing and, and maybe in shock, maybe disbelief that He's gone again? You know, is he coming back tomorrow? What? And then the angel comes and says, Why are you men looking up in the sky? This same Jesus, whom you saw leave this way, the angel says, He will come back. In verse 11, He will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. And they began their ministry in Jerusalem. Simple question. Why didn't He just answer them? You know, earlier at the Olivet Discourse, not long before this, we read that Jesus was talking in great detail about what was going to happen. He talked in great detail about the coming terrible time of tribulation, the coming terrible time of persecution, and the coming of the Son of Man, and the coming of the, the sun from, from heaven to earth, and the lightning flashing across the sky, and all these things, and, and everything that will happen. And and, and, when, and they asked about this, of course, and, but the Lord said this. No one, this is Jesus. Now think about this. This is the question I, would, I think I would ask God. It's been on my heart this week. No one knows about that day or hour. Jesus says nobody knows when that's going to happen. Not even the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven do not have any more knowledge about when this is going to take place than you have. Not even the angels in heaven. They don't even know when this is going to happen. Nor the Son, but only the Father. I look at that. Jesus said this. Jesus, who we preach and teach, was fully God and fully man, said, while he was on earth, not even the Son knew when that would take place. Now, I don't, I don't understand. That would be, that was a question I would like to ask God. I would like to ask the Lord. How is it that, that you became so fully human without sin, and yet you were so fully God that you could say, not even the Son knows? He must have accepted some type of limitations. Obviously, he, you know, he was a baby. He was born as an infant. He accepted some limitations without sin while he was on earth. But this coming again is such a mystery, such a secret that Jesus says the son doesn't even know. And he told his disciples, no one knows. I'm not going to tell you. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we go to Ephesians chapter three today. Ephesians chapter three. And we're going to finish this this one part of what we really started last week, verses one to six where Paul talks about the dispensation of God's grace that was given to him, this mystery that had not been made known to previous generations as is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And we talked about what that meant and, and the heart and the, the core of it is. He tells us in verse 6, 3, this mystery is, in case 
there's a question, well, what exactly is he talking about? He says, here it is, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery is that Jew and Gentile, all people, all nations, all classes, there's no division. There is an equality that they all come together now on equal basis, not through Israel, not through the law, not through God's chosen people, but everyone, as you are today, welcome to come to faith in Christ and become part of this new people of God, this new humanity, the church, the body of Christ. That Paul says this was not revealed in the Old Testament. It is now being revealed. This is the mystery. This is what God is doing today. And then Paul in verse 7 begins to talk about his part in this. I became a servant. I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, this message. Now, that, that goes back to, to earlier when Paul says in verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel... The good news, the gospel message. What we read this morning, what we read, 1 Corinthians 15, that of which first importance that Paul received, that he passed on to them, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. Interesting, Paul says this is of first importance. This is the most important thing. And Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. I became a slave, if you will. I became one, this is where we get the word deacon from. That we hear, I became a diaconess, I became a servant of this gospel, notice, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And again, we come back to this thought that this was not because Paul was smart enough, it was not because he looked hard enough, it was not because he went to the Old Testament himself and figured it out. It was given, he says, by revelation. Paul was given this by revelation. When he, was, when he was converted on the road to Damascus and he went away by himself and then throughout his ministry, God, like he did with the other apostles, he revealed to them. That's what the apostles, that's why they had apostolic authority. That's why Peter and James and John could write those epistles that we read today and apply to our lives because they were given authority by God. They were given revelation. They wrote it down. It was, it was inspired by God and it was given to us. And Paul likewise was given, likewise was given revelation by God. And it had to do with this, what this, this mystery that had been hidden that is now being revealed. What God is doing, this wonderful thing. And he says that I was given this by God's power. Look what he says in verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's interesting, this word that, that Paul uses here is, is actually an almost an impossibility. I mean, the way, it, the, the mechanics of the language. Some of the commentators have said, if you will, maybe the best way to say it is, I am the least, I am the leaster. <laughs> I'm the leaster. I am the, I'm the less than the least. I'm the leastest. I am the leaster of all potential people, of all people who deserve this, of anybody, I am less than the least of all God. And notice he doesn't say, I'm less than the least of all the apostles. I am less than the least of all God's people. Uh, why would Paul say that? Well, we know the story of Paul. 
we know um, what he was doing. Look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go in your Bible, go ahead toward the end of your Bible, the 1 Timothy, one of the pastoral epistles, and you'll see another reference to this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think I said t- 3, I meant chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, Paul writes this to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his servant, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent person. Remember, Paul was having people put to death like Stephen because they were Christians. The Apostle Paul was causing people to, 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 to blaspheme Jesus Christ, to forcing them to give in and finally confess and acknowledge, no, he's really not the Son of God. He was going from town to town. He was jailing people, persecuting people. People were being killed and stoned because of his work. And Paul says, this is who I was. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first. I am the chief. I am the first in line. And here's why. Why, why, what, why did God choose Paul? This was all part of God's plan. Look what he says. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king immortal, eternal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've ever encountered somebody, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and brother Bob Jolke shared with us and shared an account of somebody he encountered. Who Those are the guys that were here yesterday. Remember that and what he said, that this guy had reasons why he, why he said, God's not, God's not interested in me because I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm too much of a sinner. And you maybe have encountered people like that in your life. Maybe you have felt that way. Maybe, maybe you feel that way today. That you, that you say, you know what, you know, only God knows what I've done. I, I'm, I'm too far gone. And the Apostle Paul says this. The Apostle Paul says he did this so that no one would ever be able to say, I am outside God's grace. Paul says, look at me. You couldn't have got any worse than me. I was killing his people. There's blood on my hands. There are people today who don't have a father or a mother or a sister or a brother because I was because I'm the one who put them to death. But I was called by God as an example to anybody who would follow who would ever dare say that nobody's outside God's grace. Apostle Paul says back in Ephesians, I became a servant of this gospel. Verse 8, I am less than the least of all God's people. But this grace was given to me, what? And here, and look at, in, in our translation, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That, um, you know, what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? What, what do you think that means? 
we were in smaller group, I could break you up into groups or six or seven, I'd get you in circles and we'd talk about this. What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? What do you think that means? Is it, is it, is it the riches in Christ himself? Is the riches that are made available to Christ, Christ's people, to the family of God? Is it all of these? What are the riches of Christ that are available to you today? What are the, you know, we have people today who want to right away talk about money and status and so on. What are the riches that God's made available? What are the unsearchable riches of Christ that are available to you today? How do you find grace and, and strength in, in time of trouble and time of need? How do you find comfort and courage in difficult times? How do you find the joy? How do you find the hope, the unsearchable riches of Christ that come from God's grace and God's salvation? Where would you be today? Where would you be today without the love of God in your life? What might your life be like without the grace and love of God? Paul says, I've been given the privilege to preach the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of God's grace and mercy. In verse 9, and to make plain to everyone, I want you to notice, he's been called to preach to the Gentiles. We talked about this last week. Paul just flat out says, and you can't read it any other way, that my calling was given by God to go to the Gentiles. I like to use the term the Gentile world. Because every place Paul went, where's the first place he went? He went to the synagogue. And, and, and we saw that in Romans 9, that his heart's desire for it is, that, is, that, is that his own people, Israelites, would be saved. So I'd be willing to be accursed for Christ for that. I, I feel so strong about that. But he went to the Gentile world. He was not sent back to Jerusalem where James and, and Peter and John were ministering. Where they were, what they were preaching. He was sent away from Jerusalem to the Gentile world with this new message of what God is doing. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go through Israel. You come through faith in Christ. And he was sent to the Gentile world. And he says, I was, as Peter was sent to the, to the Jews, the circumcision, I was sent to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles. Paul says, was given me to preach to the Gentiles. But then notice he says, to make plain to everyone. While he was sent to the Gentile world, his, his, his job was not just to nail, just to, just to tell Gentiles. He spoke to everyone. He spoke to his fellow Jews too and helped them understand what God was doing. He helped them understand so they wouldn't put unnecessary restrictions and burdens on them from the Mosaic law. His job was to make plain to everyone the administration of this Mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God. Now, I know that the, the King James translation uses the, the fellowship of the mystery. And I'm not sure why they, I don't know why they picked that word there. Because this is the exact same word when he talks about the dispensation or the administration of this mystery. It's the exact same word we've already seen twice in this epistle. In chapter 3, verse 2, we saw this last week. Fellowship is not a good translation there. There's another word for fellowship, koinonia, you know, would work better. I don't know why they translate it that way. If you have the King James translation using that this morning, I, I think it's okay to make a note or something or, or at least jot in your memory. This is the word dispensation. This is the word oikonomia. This is the word administration to make everyone see 
the administration of this mystery, this dispensation of this mystery. And I want you to notice, though, look at this. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I want you to notice how he connects this with creation. What Paul is saying today is this, as we saw last week, this, this new revelation of what God is doing today, this administration of this dispensation of the grace of God, of the church, the body of Christ, where Jew and Gentile come on equal basis through simple faith in Jesus Christ, the preaching of the gospel message. This was kept hidden in God. The angels didn't know. Nobody knew. The disciples asked, Lord, are you going to, are you going to, what, what could he have said? What Jesus, what he would have had to have told them. If it was, if he was ready to unveil it, he would have had to have told his disciples. And they said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He would have had to have said, no, you are going to have to wait for at least 2,000 years. We know it's at least 2,000 years. That's how long it's been. And the kingdom has not been restored. Now I know that there is a, there is a, there, there are those who believe that the kingdom is being restored today. Uh, back in the early part of the 1900s, there was a big theological push to talk about the fact, we, look what we're doing, look at science, look at industry, look at the advancements in technology. We are bringing in the kingdom of God. And we step back and look back on the 1900s, the 20, 20th century, and ask ourselves the question, is this what the kingdom of God looks like? We slaughtered more people in those hundred years than the history of the world, most likely. Is this what the kingdom looks like? Is this what we're hoping for? No, friends, the kingdom, the Bible says, is a time where they will beat their swords and the plowshares. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The prince of peace will rule. And there will be true justice on earth because the king will be here. That's what it will look like. And they said, Lord, he would have to say no. If he was really, if he was ready to disclose it to them when they asked him that, he would have had to say no, this is not the time. You're going to have to wait for over 2,000 years. But he didn't say that. He said, no, I'm not going to tell you. It's not for you to know. Why? Because, listen, this was hidden in God. Only God knew about this plan that included you and me as the members of the body of Christ. Only God knew. And God chose to keep that to Himself. And I want you to, I want you to know, I, know I, I thought of titling this sermon, sermon the, the Purpose Driven God. Because, you know, you're familiar with that book that was so popular, The Purpose Driven Life. And I didn't want to title that because I didn't want to sound trite, you know, or, or, or trying to be, you know, whatever. But it did occur to me, The Purpose Driven God. Because God's got a purpose. And here's the purpose. There's a reason for this. There is a reason why God hid it in himself. Look what he says here. His intent. It, he tells us. His purpose was. He created all things. He's a creator of everything. And he says his purpose in doing this was that now, in this era, and we could apply this to us today, now, in this era of the body of Christ, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God had a purpose. The purpose is not just about us. I think that does, I think that, isn't that the opening line from that book, The Purpose Driven Life? It's not about you. The purpose is about God. God had a plan. And God had a wonderful plan that, that the angels and the authorities and the powers and the rulers and the heavenly realms did not understand. When, I mean, what was it like when Jesus Christ hung on that cross of Calvary and the incarnate God, I mean, let's, let's give some thought to this when we come toward Good Friday. That the incarnate God, man, fully God and fully man could actually die. And when his blood was shed and his life was taken from him and he hung on that cross lifeless and dead, what was going through the, 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 the thoughts of the, of, the, of the powers and authorities in the heavens, in the angelic realms, who didn't understand what, what God's plan was? Who had been watching as well? When Peter tells us that even the angels uh, desire to look into these things. And he hung on that cross. And for those three days where he, he was dead. But he came back to life. What was going on in the, the, you know, when Paul says here, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, who are, who are those beings? Who are they? Do we have any hint from Ephesians who at least some of them might be? You know, one of the things about studying a book like this is we've got to take the long view of things. I know on any given Sunday we want, to, we want to get everything and apply it and everything. But in this study, you know, we need to go through these first three chapters. So when we come to chapters 4, 5, and 6 and make these applications to our lives. For we wrestle not against, huh? The powers and authorities. It's the exact same phrase. So we have to say from this that at least we know part of that group. Personally, I think it's probably all the heavenly beings. But it also includes the satanic ones. The ones that are allied against God. The ones who thought they had triumphed at the cross when he was killed and his blood was spilled. The ones who were also looking... What is God, this, those, who had, those who had fostered and, and also encouraged this division between people, the Jew and Gentile, and this, this wall and this barrier, and even the hatred that existed. And these evil authorities, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, these spiritual forces. And Paul says here, these heavenly rulers, these spiritual forces, and those allied against God, the satanic ones who are working on Satan's side, all of a sudden it was made known to them as well what God was doing. God in His grace and mercy was bringing people together into unity, into one, to the body of Christ. No one could have ever, the angelic forces and authorities, good and bad, they could ever have understood this and, and contemplated and thought they were looking to see what was going to happen next with the king and God does something completely unknown and reveals his glory and his power and his love and his grace and his mercy. He chooses the most unlikely person. I'm sure the angelic forces of, of, of evil, the powers and authorities, 
were so glad to have Paul working on their side, killing Christians. And God chose to save him. And God chose to do something new. And God chose to bring into creation this body of Christ where there's no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile, bond or free. Any race, any division, God is doing something so wonderful that even the heavenly authorities and powers, good and bad, are looking at it and going, what is this? What happened? It's us. It's you. And it's me. The most unlikely people. If you and I would have done this, we would have called the powerful, the important, the wealthiest, the most influential. But instead, God chose to call people like Paul and people like us. To demonstrate to the entire universe what he is doing. If you feel today that you're a weak vessel, if you feel today that you are not perfect, it's by design. That's what God calls. So that the power and the glory goes to him. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, the purpose-driven God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not about us. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ and the glory that God gets from his amazing plan of salvation that was hid in himself and all of a sudden exploded in the world as God revealed what he was doing. Paul says this, we'll close with this. You want an application for this for your life? In Him, that is Jesus Christ, and through faith in Him, or it could be through His faith, the faith of Him. It's a whole other study. Um, there's both sides of that. I'm going to leave it there for today. If you'd like to track that down yourself, you can do some more study. Those who would enjoy doing that. In Him and through faith in Him or through His faith, we may approach God with I like the word boldness and confidence. I think it's a better translation with boldness and confidence. ABC. If you can't remember anything else today as you leave this place, I know we're an hour off and we're all kind of thrown off today, right? Right? Our, our, our dog wouldn't even get up this morning. I mean, our dog has <laughs> figured out our schedule and we could not get her off the bed this morning at, at 7 o'clock because she went to her 6.30 position where she goes every morning at 6.30 and look at it, it's like, what's wrong with you people? You know, it's like. But I know you can remember this. A, B, C. Do you remember that? You guys remember that, can't you? A, B, C. We can approach God with A, approach with boldness and confidence. Think of that. These Jews had been going through the priests. They had been coming to the temple with caution and carefulness and everything done. Today, there are those who who go to approach God through a priest and feel like they have to go through a priest to get to God. There's religions all over the world that are encouraging all sorts of things to approach God. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, it's because of this, every one of us, can approach God today, whatever's on your heart, friends. What is on your heart today? 
if you could approach God today, you can approach God today with boldness and with confidence. Boldness, why? Because you have the right as children to come into his presence. Some of you, some of you that are my age and stuff remember those pictures when President Kennedy was in the White House and there was this, this, whole, uh, this whole era of a, a young family in the White House. It was something kind of new. Remember those pictures of his kids coming in the office, to, coming in the presidential office because they didn't know any better and opening the door and barging in. And, you know, this, there was a, someone took a picture for Life magazine of, of this. I think it was his, his, it was his daughter or son, this famous picture, that they just boldly came right in the president of the United States office where everybody else had to get an appointment. You don't need an appointment with God. You don't have to call ahead. You don't have to schedule it. You have the right as children to call him Abba Father and to approach him with boldness and with confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence that he is your father. Confidence that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Confidence that he already knows the end from the beginning. What is weighing on your heart today, God already knows how it's going to work out. He already knows. It's done in his eyes. We are already seated in the heavenlies. We are already there in his eyes. We can approach him with boldness and confidence. Why? Because Jesus Christ, our Lord, of first importance, of first importance, died, was buried, and rose again. And when he did so, he shattered, he shattered and exploded the power of death and of Satan. And all the authorities in the heavenlies were shocked. And taken back and led in captivity those who were opposed to God. Satan has already been defeated. That's the story of the book of Revelation. Read the book of Revelation, ponder it, think about it, study it. But don't forget the message of Revelation. God wins. It's good news, friends. That's the reason why you can approach God with boldness and confidence today because He has called you to this spectacular, wonderful new entity, the body of Christ, hidden in Him for the ages, but freely revealed and preached today from this pulpit, from this word, and from our lives. Gary, come and lead us in our closing song. We're going to sing our closing song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. ABC, approach God with boldness and confidence. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer this morning. As we do so, I just want to remind you, friends, that uh, you know we've just sung some pretty amazing words. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? We have God's blessed peace leaning on the everlasting arms. As we leave this place today, I, I know in your hearts, and I know in my heart, I'll be the first to admit, I have fears, 
I have dreads. I have anxieties. I have worries. I don't always walk by faith as, as God calls me to do. It's good to know that He, he understands. And and if you're feeling weak this morning, if you're feeling like uh, you just need some help, you need some strength, you, you, you'd like everybody else to think that it's all going 100%, but you know that there are challenges, I want you just to take this, this song that we've sung with you today. What are we to fear? What are we to dread? God knows. God loves you. God had an incredible plan that is being unfolded to the angelic beings in the heavenlies. And you are part of it. Is there any doubt how much God loves you, how important your life is to God, and how much He wants each of us this week to walk by faith and to have hope and encouragement and to boldly and with confidence access Him and come to Him as His children. To that end, Lord, we leave this place and we just thank You today for Your amazing love and Your everlasting arms that we lean on today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.